that are being dismissed, uh, I want us to turn in our Bibles this morning to the Gospel uh, or the Book of Romans, chapter eight. Book of Romans, chapter eight. And I want to pick up our reading in verse 18 going down through verse 25. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. I've been talking about the doctrine of adoption. Today I want us to look at the words of encouragement that come to us from this passage as sons and daughters of God in spite of the suffering that we face. Verse 18, Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy to compare with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, that is, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait patiently for it. This is picked up 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with the will of God. Over the past few weeks, we've been doing a series called Sons and Daughters of God. We've been looking at the nature of our adoption, at the benefits of our adoption. This morning, I want us to focus our attention on this passage of Scripture from the perspective of looking for the encouragements that come to us by the spirit of adoption in the context of suffering in our lives. All of us from time to time endure various kinds of sorrow, struggle, sickness, and pain. Life hits you from the broadside. Out of the blue, all of a sudden struggling, all of a sudden hurting, all of a sudden sorrowing. It comes from all different directions in our lives. The result of that pain for God's children, the result of that suffering and sorrow is this many times. It can cause us to question or to doubt the Father's love. It's the way it works, isn't it? When someone allows you to go through suffering or struggle, your tendency is to ask, do they really love me? Because if they love me, we assume that protection would always be what is given. Provision is always what is given. But sometimes through the struggles, we grow. And so the basic thrust of this text from the Apostle Paul is something like this. Don't be discouraged by suffering. Why? Because you are God's adopted child. He loves you. He is in the process of caring for you in ways that often, according to this text, are unseen. Now, verses 17 and 18 introduce this topic of suffering. 
Notice what Paul says in verse 17. He says, now, if we are children, and that fact that we are children, verse 16 tells us, is assured by the indwelling work of the Spirit of God. He is consistently affirming for every believer that you are my son, you are my daughter. So there is this assurance, but then there are circumstances that cause us to what? Question that voice of assurance. And so in verse 17, he says, now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his, and I love this word, his glory. I consider that present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So where's the Apostle Paul's focus? The Apostle Paul's focus is on the glory that will be revealed in us and focusing on that glory that will be revealed is bringing encouragement into his life in the present circumstances of suffering. So the first thought that emerges out of this text is something like this. Our adoption as sons and daughters of God assures us of future glory in spite of present suffering. Okay? Adoption assures us of future glory, that in the future, God will set everything right. In spite of the fact that in the present, we can identify specific, specific areas of struggle and suffering in our daily experience. And here's the way he says it. He says, in this suffering, we are proven to be heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Now, just we'll touch on the heirs of God part very quickly. It is a staggering concept that we are heirs of God. That is to say that God's future provision for us is as secure as he is as our creator. Okay, so we don't have to worry about the things that God has covered in the future. He is taking good care of those things. We are heirs of God. We, by virtue of becoming sons and daughters, are in his will. His blessings and benefits are stored up in heaven to be poured out one day in fullness upon us. But the text also goes on to say this, that we are not only heirs of God, we are co-heirs with Christ. And I think that means at a couple of levels. In terms of righteousness, we are heirs of Christ, right? We stand before God not having a righteousness of our own, but a righteousness that comes from Christ through grace and faith. Okay, so we, we participate in his righteousness. We are co-heirs with him. But there's another sense in which this text identifies our being co-heirs with Christ. He says, if we share in his suffering, okay, which is a, a way that most of us don't look at Christian living. We don't see ourselves as co-heirs of Christ in regards to his suffering. We have, I think in our culture, become very effective at avoiding suffering for Christ. We don't see the benefit of it, so we tend to avoid it in various ways and in various circumstances. But Paul is saying in this text that suffering is the path to something greater. If we share in his suffering, what will we also share in, according to this verse? We will also share in his glory. Okay, which has something to do with the bright future that Jesus Christ experienced after his resurrection from the dead and his ascension back into the presence of his Father. So we not only share in the suffering of Christ, which in context, verse 35, I think very clearly in chapter 8, is talking about physical suffering for the sake of believers who are sharing the good news of Christ. They are experiencing persecution as a result of sharing their faith. That 
persecution is the pain or the groaning that this text is talking about. It is the suffering that we share in because of our identity with the Savior, Jesus Christ. But this suffering in context is spoken about as a good thing. It is beneficial. It is shaping us into something that we would never be apart from it. And notice how, if I was just going to try to illustrate what this means, pain that is good, pain that has benefit. In the realm of physical training, anyone who has ever lifted weights, gone jogging, uh, tried to exercise, they know that when you first begin the process of seeking to experience improvement physically, what do you have to undergo? You have to undergo pain. So we say something like this. If there's no pain, there's no gain. There's no benefit. Okay? A good trainer allows the person they're training to experience pain, not because they enjoy letting them experience pain, but because they know that that pain will yield and produce consequences that are beneficial and good. Our Father, in His infinite wisdom, allows us at times to go through seasons of pain and struggle because he knows that it will fit us to be better servants for him, more effective, more stable, more resilient servants. It is the love of God that allows us to be co-heirs with Christ. Our future is exceedingly bright. But in that, we are also co-heirs with his suffering so that we may finally share in his glory. And here's what I believe. As you grow in Christ, the glory of Christ that you experience is not only future but it is a glory that is revealed in your life on earth today, in your current experience, in the face of suffering. Now, what happens? We tend to look at our troubles as things that are purely negative. But here's the way that Paul saw it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. Here's what Paul says. He says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Okay, do you see? What is it that we see? Second Corinthians 4, verse 16. What do we see? We see present suffering. And is the Apostle Paul in touch with that personally? Look back to verse 8. Paul says, we are hard-pressed on every side, not crushed. We are perplexed, not in despair. We are persecuted, not abandoned, struck down. We always carry in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Christ might be revealed in our body. Paul was experiencing suffering that he saw as leading to future glory. Suffering that leads to future glory. So when I come to the beginning of chapter 5, here's Paul's perspective. He says, we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands, Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. That is glory, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life itself. Now, it is God who made us for this very purpose and has given us the spirit as a guarantee or as a deposit, I'm sorry, guaranteeing what is to come. Okay, our suffering puts us in touch with future glory. What did Paul do? Paul says, I don't fix my eyes on what is seen, 
but on what is unseen. I don't fix my eyes on the temporary suffering. I fix my eye on the eternal weight of glory that Christ has prepared for us. And so Paul says in verse 17 of Romans 8, he says, we share in his suffering so that we may also share in his glory. There is something necessary about suffering that is the path to our understanding of glory. 2 Corinthians 5.21 goes a bit further and says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Okay, the glory of God is seen most clearly in what realm? Okay, I think it's Psalm 19 and verse 1. The heavens created realm declare what? The glory of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 talks about a glory that ultimately will work out in heaven that follows our conversion as new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.21, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He is a new manifestation or revelation of the glory of God. And so our adoption assures us of future glory in spite of present suffering. Paul says, here's the way I calculate it, verse 18. He says, I consider, I reckon that present suffering is not even worthy of comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. That is to say, what is coming to us as God's adopted children is so glorious that our pain will never be thought of. Okay, that is a truly rich thought. Why? Because in this life, what do we do? We groan. We struggle, we wrestle, we experience loss because of our faith in Christ. Young people experience it. Adults in the work environment experience it. Persecution, suffering, loss, relationships, friendships, jobs. And what do we do? We groan. But in that suffering, what are we doing? We are being fitted for a future glory that will be so powerful that it will cause us to forget all of our present suffering. William Cowper put it this way in a very powerful song in the 1700s. He said, ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower." Every person who's ever worked in the realm of agriculture and gardening understands what that is saying. When you till ground, work ground, you do it by what? You do it by the sweat of your brow. You do it in the context of physical suffering. That's the idea from Genesis 3. Because the whole created realm, according to this text, was subjected to frustration. And you work the soil. But the end result of that work, that hard labor, is what? It's the fruit of your efforts that you get to share with your friends and enjoy in your kitchen. Okay? And when you eat it, you say, this was worth it. Okay? Why? Because the outcome of that labor is something that is glorious. And so Paul's basic thrust to start out is future glory is coming despite present sufferings. There's, there's one thought that I just want to touch on that isn't, necessarily directly tied to my outline, but it has to do with this idea of being co-heirs with Christ. And I, I, I don't know if you've thought about this much, but if you go to the book of Hebrews, and I'll just quickly share with you this passage of Scripture. Hebrews 2 talks about us being co-heirs with Christ and this future glory that we have with Him. Hebrews 2 and verse 11, it says this. It says, Both the one who makes men holy 
and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them, that is, those that he makes holy, brothers and sisters in him. In that future glory, what happens? We get into this heaven that God has assured for us, this glory that he has created and assured for us. And when we get there, what does Jesus do? Okay, in spite of our sinfulness and only because of his grace, he is not ashamed to say, that person is my brother. That person is my sister. Okay, and, and as Paul goes on, as, as the writer of Hebrews goes on with it, he says, he, said, he talks about Jesus. He said, Jesus says, I will declare your name to my brothers. And then end of verse 13, he says, here I am and the children that God has given to me. Okay, what is that? It is Jesus standing in the midst of the context of redeemed people saying they are with me as brothers and sisters. That to me is an astonishing picture of glory because the quote comes from Isaiah chapter eight. You know what it is? It's a context of worship. It's the worshiper standing with hands exalted saying, here I am and the children that you have given to me. Folks, do you understand the glory that will be revealed in us? Sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters of Christ. And in an amazing way, through adoption, Jesus becomes the older brother who is not ashamed of us. Why? Because he, by his grace, has redeemed us and cleansed us and made us suitable to be there so that none will be cast out. I mean, that's the glory that awaits us. And the Holy Spirit is the one that whispers into our hearts, the voice of God, you're my son, you're my daughter. That voice assures a future glory in spite of the fact that in this world, what do we have? We have difficulties. We have struggles. We suffer. We groan. But please remember this. At the day of your death or at the return of Christ, he will say, you are my brother. You are my sister. And that future glory informs and encourages the heart of every child of God. Suffering should not discourage us, secondly, because our adoption assures us that one day, and just, just think about this, one day the groaning will end and glory will begin. Okay, one day, the difficulties, the groaning, the pain of being in a fallen world, one day, that will end, and glory will begin. Now, look at verses 19 through 22. It says, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Now, that is a, that's a fascinating statement, isn't it? Creation groaning is waiting for what? For the sons of God to be revealed. Now follow along. He says, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of him who subjected it. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 17. God in heaven says, cursed is the ground. Because of who? The cinema Adam and Eve. The groaning of this world is tied to the groaning of humanity, to our sin. And notice what he says next. I just love this that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious or glory-revealing freedom of the children of God. Look at it. What is that saying? It's, it's a bit of a complicated statement. Okay, it's, it's saying something to this effect. Our groaning 
is tied to the groaning of the world that we live in. And the glorification of the world that we live in is tied to what? It's tied to our glorification. Okay, so that when the sons of God are revealed, when God's glorious power is revealed in the full redemption of his children, what comes in the wake? Okay, the whole created realm, which is to say that the glorious work of God that we will be revealed in the future when groaning ends and glory comes is so massive and so effective and so glorious and powerful that all of creation is affected by the redemption of the sons and daughters of God. Very amazing, amazing truth to me. The bondage of creation is linked to our bondage, and the freedom of creation is linked to our freedom. And so the result is what? We, as Christians, look forward to a new heaven and a new earth, First Peter 3 says, wherein dwells righteousness. Not brokenness, not fallenness from the sin of humanity, but righteousness will be there. So, what happens? Creation is groaning, and our redemption, our coming into all that God intends for us to be, affects the entire created realm, and it also, and it, which, which I think is why we would say something like this, okay? Think to the Lord's Prayer now. If all of creation, it's, if it's redemption, if it's deliverance from the curse, is tied to ours, it begins to help you to understand what Jesus means in Matthew chapter 6. He says, when you pray, pray what? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth. Folks, please understand this. Okay, what is it that we look forward to as Christians? The book of Revelation 21 says, we look forward to a new heaven and a new earth that is unbroken. Okay, glory is coming and groaning will end. And when we pray, what are we praying? We are praying, Father, do your will on earth as it is done in heaven, which is to say, rid the world of the effects of sin and restore your intended purpose for the created order. My personal conviction is this, okay? I do not believe that we in eternity will be floating around in heaven. I think in eternity... In the new heaven and new earth that comes down from the Father, creation will be re-restored. And it will be glorious. And it will be powerful. And it will be to the honor and praise of the one who has done it. So our full realization of our salvation is somehow, or, or I'm sorry, the, 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 the redemption of the earth is somehow tied to ours. But Paul goes one step further, okay, in this Groaning, ending, and glory beginning. Verse 23 through 25. Notice what he says. He says, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan. So, verse 22, what happens? Creation is groaning. What is it doing? It's longing for being released from the frustration of sin so that the glory of God will be revealed on earth. That's what we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Along with that, and the reason we pray then, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is because that prayer has a direct effect upon us, namely our physical body. Verse 23, he's clear. He says, not only so, but we ourselves who had the first spirit, had the first fruits of the spirit, we groan inwardly as we what? We are waiting for our adoption as sons. What does that entail? 
the redemption of our bodies. So that our adoption as sons takes into account the full physical restoration of the body in which we groan. And in that, what is God doing? God is demonstrating his authority, his power, and his glory in our lives by ending groaning and bringing in glory. And it is a glory that is so incredible and so powerful. Now we groan. We are waiting for the full adoption. And this brings us, I think, to one of the most powerful tensions of the Christian life. Verse 16 of Romans chapter 8 says that we are the sons and daughters of God. We are adopted and that the Spirit of God assures us of that. Verse 23, however, raises the prospect that some aspects of our adoption are not yet complete. What are we doing? We are waiting eagerly for our adoption of sons. Seems to contradict verse 16, right? Because what did he say in verse 16? Verse 16, he says the spirit of adoption is assuring you of God's love. But it's an already not yet kind of tension, isn't it? It's we already are sons and daughters of God, but we have not yet been delivered from the realm in which we struggle and groan. Okay? So there is a future aspect when groaning ends and glory in Jesus begins. And I think the hint to that is back in verse 11 of chapter 8. Here's what Paul says. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, that is, if you are adopted and indwelt by the Spirit of God, then he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who lives in you. Okay, which is saying what? The groaning of my physical body will one day stop. It will find a point where it ends and glory begins. Why? Because the Spirit of adoption affects us in the past, it affects us in the present, and it affects us in the future. Okay, so that it is not simply a present experience that when I die, it ends. No, it is an experience that has begun now that informs me as I look towards the future without fear. Why? God has my future covered. Okay, it is under his very glorious and powerful control. In Philippians 3.20, here's the way Paul says it. Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. Therefore, we eagerly wait a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. You know what that is? That is the glory of Christ. The power that enables him to bring everything under control. He will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious or glory revealing body. So our adoption assures us that one day the pain will end. And glory will begin. I think of 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16. A passage that addresses the death of believers. You know what it says? It says, we sorrow. We, when we experience the loss of loved ones and friends, we experience what? We experience a true grief. But what does Paul say? We grieve, but not like those without hope. Why? Because we know that one day, groaning will be replaced by the glory of the sons of God and daughters of God. Okay? So there is a time coming when groaning will end and glory will begin. I, I, I love the trilogy, Lord of the Rings. I especially like the last one. 
I love the way the, the climax to the last one, I don't know, it probably goes on for 35, 40 minutes, the end of the movie. And there's, there's something as you watch the end of that movie, the, just, it, it, it's, it's the resolve, all of the, the pain and trouble and groaning that, that permeates those three movies finally comes to a resolution. What is it? It is groaning is ending and glory is being revealed. But folks, what does Paul say? Paul says, look, in this body, in this world, at this time, we groan. We are in that groaning what? We are longing for a better day. And there's, when you watch that kind of resolve in, in, a, in a movie that is dealt with so much pain and suffering, there's a sense in which you feel so relieved. That is the narrative. That is the story of the Bible. That one day the king comes. And when the king of kings comes, there is no one who can stand against him. We are gloriously and beautifully set free. Yes, we groan, but glory is coming and groaning one day will end. Please, please tuck that thought into your thinking as you suffer for Christ. As you experience rejection for being a person of truth. Tuck that into your thinking. One day, the pain, the groaning, the loss in this realm will end. And glory will come. Therefore, we have verses 24 and 25. I'll just let you read that on your own. You have hope. It is a hope that is unseen, but the blessing is in fact coming. Therefore, Paul can say things like this. Therefore, we eagerly wait for this redemption of our body. And it is worth the wait. Why? Because it is so incredibly glorious that when it comes, all of our physical suffering will not be thought of again. That is glory. Remember the commercial uh, about ketchup? Uh, you younger kids will not remember this commercial. This will definitely demonstrate my age. Remember the Heinz ketchup commercial with the kids looking into the bottle? And he's just, and, and the theme of it, it had that little catchy thing, uh, anticipation, it's making me wait. Okay? Because what's going to come out of here after time is worth the wait. That's the implication. Okay, and what is God doing in this text? He is talking about something that we can't yet see and can't yet grasp, a future that is so glory-revealing in Jesus that it will erase all pain and the thought of it. Paul says, let that encourage your heart today as you suffer. Because suffering can cause us to think, does God really love me? His assurance to all of his children is, I do love you. And the pain that I'm letting you go through is for your good. It is training to make you more like Jesus and more effective in serving his purposes. We groan, but Christ's hope sustains one writer said it this way. He said, we are not waiting to die in Christ. We are waiting to live. Now, that to me, is an, that's an amazing thought. We're not waiting to die. We are waiting to live. Did Paul ever say something like that? You bet he did. For me to live is... Christ and to die is gain you know why because in the next realm the glory will be revealed 
and groaning will end for the sons and daughters of God. So the warning then comes to us. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. Don't love the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is all in the process of what? It's all in the process of passing away. It's part of the groaning realm. One day something so glorious is coming that you'll be sorry you ever dabbled in enslavement in the temporal realm. The glory of the sons and daughters of God. Don't invest heavily in the temporal realm. Jesus warned us, lay up treasure in heaven. The psalmist said, in your presence, Psalm 1611, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, treasures forevermore. Treasures that will cause all pain to become a distant memory. It will not be worthy of honorable mention. No one will ever say, oh, just then, by the way. Oh, I'll be like, oh, no, don't even go there. <laughs> don't even go there. Because what we are enjoying in the future will be so glorious. And what do we have now? You know what we have now? We have a foretaste of it. We have a foretaste of it. If the foretaste, if the voice of the Spirit of God, if the assurance of deliverance and the hope of heaven is good, what will the sight of it be? Do you see? If when you read in Genesis about the Garden of Eden and you think, why did they mess up and lose that? Because you are longing for that. Remember, one day groaning will cease. And glory will come. Let that thought challenge you. Let that thought deeply alter your experience. One writer put it this way. He said, when the curtain falls, God's true sons and daughters will be revealed for who they really are. Right now, Christ's followers look just like other people do. We get sick just like other people. We experience heartbreak, failure, broken relationships, anger, frustration, and all the other things that are characteristic of the human condition. But one day, the curtain will be pulled away, and who we are, really are, will be revealed. God's sons and daughters. And in that place, what does he do? Revelation 21. And in that place, that new created realm that displays, if it, look, it's kind of like this. If Psalm 19.1 is true, that the created realm declares the glory of God, and it is fallen and in frustration, then what will the glory of the new heaven and earth be? And there, what does God say? It says, there God shall wipe away, what? All tears from their eyes. There will be no more sorrow. And there will be no more death. The former things, which is where we are today, the already, are passed away. And the not yet, that is so glorious, has come. Now, folks, if you have that kind of hope, how should you live? What kind of person should you and I be if we have a hope like that, that is so unbelievably glorious? The promise that we as Christians have is not that suffering will never afflict us. No, verse 17 says we share in his suffering. But that suffering can never, understand this, it can never annul our adoption or separate us from the love of God. 
That's what the rest of the chapter has to say, which points I'm not going to go through this morning. We have a future so glorious and so compelling that it, if understood, will shatter our bondage to lesser things. Folks, meditate on the glory that will be revealed in us. The God-revealing glory that provides perspective, that kills and mitigates grief, and that encourages our hearts in the struggle. Oh, yes, now we suffer and groan from time to time. But the very last verse in the chapter says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Because our future is secured by who? By God. And the power to bring it about has already been revealed. Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. He raised Christ from the dead. Death can't separate you from the one who has overcome the grave. May God help us to be people who are so deeply affected by our hope as children of God, so deeply affected by the doctrine of adoption, sons and daughters of God, that we are broken free from the temporal pleasures of this world. Because the glory of the future is illuminating our path today. And we desire to live for his glory. If you're here this morning and you never trusted Jesus Christ, please understand this. By his work on the cross, he paid the price, the full price for your sin. He calls you and I rebels in his word. We are sinners who go our own way. But because of his love, he came, he shed his blood on Calvary's cross to pay the full price for our sin. And if we come to faith and trust in that shed blood of Jesus, you know what we become? We become sons and daughters of God. People who know that future glory is coming. And pain and grief and sorrow and groaning will definitively come to an end. Until that day, may we rejoice as brothers and sisters in Christ. May we long for the glory that he has coming for us in a way that affects how we live on Monday morning, tomorrow. I challenge you this way. Go, live differently. Go, endure the suffering that comes so that Christ's glory can be revealed in and through your life. Let's pray together. Father.